0: Hi there, welcome to Mosaic Intercultural Church, coming to you from London, Ontario, Canada. My name is Andrew Karam, and I'm the Executive Director and Pastor of Mosaic, and I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. If you want to learn more about Mosaic, you can find us online at www.mosaicchurchlondon.com. friends. It is good to be worshiping with you tonight. Um, We're going to pray, and then we're going to read the scriptures that were read earlier, and then we're going to ask the question, how do we live as children of God on a day like today? Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we bow before you in the name of Jesus, your Son. We confess that we need you. God, we need your salvation, and we thank you that you have poured out life on us, given us life through Jesus, our Son, and by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. God, would you shine brightly in what is said here? Would you take everything that is not from you, and would you keep it from my mind or block our ears to it? God, would you open up our hearts and minds to experience you, to hear you speak? to hear your word come alive. God, lead us into new life, to live in different ways because of the life that you are giving us and because of what you say to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the scripture that uh, was read earlier tonight is a combination. As, as I mentioned last week, um, the way that we choose the scriptures here at Mosaic is uh, we go to a global database of scripture that is based on the life of Jesus. So we walk through the whole year each Sunday reading passages that help us understand what it means to be fully alive in Jesus. And Gloria Jones, who's an elder in the church, she chooses which out of that database that database of scriptures we'll, we will read. Um, and she chose tonight uh, and for this season of Easter the book of 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And... Um, this is, as you can see behind me, the time when the cross has a purple, a purple sash over it, a purple robe, and that that color purple on the cross signifies that Jesus is King and that He is victorious. The color purple is a is a purple is a color of royalty that often shows up in the Scriptures, and so the, in this season of Easter, which we are in the middle of. We remember that Jesus, our King, died and rose again, as we just confessed, that He reigns forever over all things because He is at the right hand of God the Father, and He is our victorious liberator. So in this uh, Easter season, uh, Gloria uh, discerned that we should be walking through this book of 1 John, and so uh, we're doing that. And the scripture tonight is 1 John chapter 3, but we've added to it. Uh, a passage that comes from 1 John chapter 2. So that's a long preamble to say, let's read the scriptures. Okay, so uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'd like to read that part first. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. Let's keep reading. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, Sin is lawlessness, but you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins. And in Him is no sin. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as He is righteous. Last week we talked about the uh, beautiful language that this author, uh, we call him John the Elder, this beautiful language that he uses to address this audience. He calls them dear children, God's beloved people. His language towards these people is like, it's parental, it's family language, and it's to, to let them know that they are Uh, people that God loves, that they have been called out of a world that is filled with conflict and distrust, and they have been called to be united with God in Jesus Christ. And, And the language that we used for that last week was the language of communion. And we talked about how communion is this amazing experience of mutual love, friendship, of sitting at the table together, having great food, and knowing that everybody's heart is at one with each other, that we care about the same things, that our hearts are broken for the same things, and that we are sharing life together. Communion is a beautiful gift. And communion is actually, like, the way in which the human family bears the image of God, because we believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we have just read and confessed in the words of the Nicene Creed. And so, as the eternal God who created all things is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this communion... This one God in three persons, so the human family is made for communion with God and with one another. And it's beautiful. In fact, it's joyful. It's joyful. And this is, you hear the joy in the language right off the top in 1 John chapter 3 verse 1, right? Let's go back to verse, to verse 1 there. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. It's not just like, hey, check it out. You know, that was kind of cool. Hey, you know. God's child that's nice that's nice (laughs) no it's look see behold look see this is amazing it's worth your attention gaze on the beautiful love of God that our creator who is holy and righteous in love and all-powerful all-glorious would call us his children and that is what we are and so I want to say to you today that God in Jesus Christ calls you his child That is your deepest identity. There's nothing deeper than being the child of the creator. Nothing deeper at all. And in this this time, in this season, when our identities are under attack from every angle, it is good news to know that your deepest identity is found in Jesus Christ as a child of God. Now, we use that language a lot, and we sing songs about that a lot. And I often wonder, do we understand what that means for us practically? Because identity is very complicated. And when I think about the the news today, and I think about even the things that we've heard tonight, right? I mean, Norm and Donna were sharing, and Ron was praying for the people in St. Vincent and the Grenadines as they are dealing with a volcano. And as Norm said, these people are not in the news very often. They, like so much of the world, were colonized by the British, and people were, were displaced to go to those islands, and those islands are still suffering under the, under the consequences of that. And, uh, and here they are suffering acutely right now. And those people are children of God. And here in our province, something very strange has happened lately. Uh, we got news that the police services had to say to our government, that they will not exercise the power that the government wants to give them. Which is a good thing, right? The government gave the police permission to stop people on the streets, to ask them where they were going, and to find out their addresses. And the police services across the province said, hey, everybody, we're not going to do that. That's a bad idea. Now, on the one hand, I want to say... Thank you, Jesus, for police leaders who do not want to abuse their power and who do not want to abuse the public trust. That is amazing. On the other hand, I want to say, Lord Jesus, what does it mean to live as children of God when our government is giving the police power that the police recognizes it should not have? And this is, as I said, this is not, it's not just about politics, this is about This is also intertwined with the question of our identities. When I got the news yesterday that the government had given the the police permission to stop people, like so many of your hearts, my heart thought, what about all my black brothers and sisters? Like, what what does that mean for them? That's a Torah. Like, how is it that the provincial government, after people have been through, we've been through inquiries about the practice of carding, uh, in the in, in the city of Toronto and realized that that black people have been disproportionately stopped by the police in the past and they have been there have been all these reasons given for like for for doing that and now the government is giving the police permission to stop anybody after carding was proven to be like unhelpful and an expression of pain and injustice like what is happening right now? And what does it mean to live as children of God in this time? Because we experience these events, whether they are global events that are connected to people that we love, or whether they are things here at home, we experience these events and they break our hearts. And still we confess that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, that he has conquered sin and death. And we believe the word that says that we are children of God, but what does it mean to live as children of God today? when these things are happening, and when our identities are so conflicted and caught up in the tension. Well, if you look at 1 John, the first thing to to note in in, in verse 1 is that our identities in Jesus Christ are the overflow of the love of our Heavenly Father. What God is offering us is is identity that is rooted in the eternal, all-powerful love of our Creator. It's identity that is not based in conflict. It's not based on having to prove yourself to be worthy of identity. It is identity that flows from the eternal, infinite power of the love of God. So when God, in his love, calls you his child, that is an eternal reality that goes to the depth of your being, but you'll notice that is what we are now, but our future has not yet been made known. That's what he says in verse two. He says, dear friends, now we are children of God. Praise God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. And so there's this mystery. We know that right now we are children of God, but we do not yet know... What that will look like in the future, which might be a source of great anxiety for us. Because if we don't know what we will become, how on earth are we to to know really who we are? Now, let me say that again, because that's a strange thing to say. If I don't know who I'm going to become, how do I know who I am? And actually that makes a lot of sense, but we're not gonna go down that philosophical road. But when, you think about, um, when you think about the stories of people who have come out of very difficult places in life and they have achieved something, they have overcome great odds, often the story that, that is woven into their life is that they had a vision for their life. They knew who they wanted to become and they knew that what they were experiencing right then in that time was not the end of the story because they could see through their circumstances, and they could see what was on the other side, if they could learn certain things, if they could develop certain character traits, if they could connect with certain people. And so because they had a vision of who they were becoming, they understood who they were right now properly. So if who we are in Jesus Christ, as children of God, if we don't know what we will be, how then do we know who we are? Does not a does the question make sense? But he says we we do know something. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So, this is amazing. I don't. I I honestly wish that I could explain this in as beautiful words as it deserves. But I can't. What we do know is that Jesus Christ, the one whom we have confessed, the one who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived, died, and rose again, he is the one in whom we live. And we know that he has passed through death into life eternal, but we don't see him with our physical eyes. He lives in us. So when we say that we are children of God, we're saying we are in the Son of God. The Son of God dwells in us, and we are in Him. And even though we can't see Him, He will be made visible to us. And when He is made visible, we will become like Him. So how do we know who we are? By looking at Jesus. How do we know who we are going to become? By looking at Jesus. How do we know our destiny? By looking at Jesus. Where do we see Jesus? Well, we see Him in the Scriptures, everywhere in the Scriptures. We see him in the community of the people that follow him. We see him in the bread and in the cup that we will take later on this evening. Where we can see Jesus, we see our destiny. And we see what it means to be the children of God. And so that gives us hope. So no, there like we don't know what we will become because right now we're on this side of our own resurrection, right? And so my body's going to be transformed. Your body's going to be transformed. You're going to be utterly new. When you die physically and are brought to new life in Jesus Christ, you'll still be yourself. I'll still be myself. But what we will be has not yet been made known. But the thing that we do know is that when Jesus comes again, when we see Jesus face to face, we will be transformed to be completely like him because we will see him as he is. And that, my friends, is so far beyond our greatest hope, beyond our wildest imaginings for ourselves, that we often say, you can't expect me to live like that's true. I don't know how many conversations I've been in with people in the last 15 years where they say, yeah, Jesus did that, but I'm not Jesus and you're not Jesus. And then we justify living lives that are less than what we were created for. We justify being selfish. Well, like Jesus wasn't selfish. Jesus, but Jesus, that was Jesus. I'm not Jesus. No, but you will be. You will be like him for you will see him as he is good heavens. And this is why it says, all those who have this hope in Him, all of us who hope in Jesus Christ, purify ourselves just as He is pure. Because if I'm truly becoming like Jesus Christ, the one who I know is far beyond who I am right now, if I'm going to be like Him in the future, then all of the garbage in my life, the sin, the insecurity, the sadness, the faint-heartedness, the the stuff that just weighs me down—that's all done away with. That's actually not core to who I am. Who I am will be found and revealed in Jesus Christ, and so, I'm, so I walk a path of repentance because I walk with Jesus. Now, we got Before we go on, I want to stop and say, okay, like that—that that might sound pretty abstract to you right now, or might—I don't know how it, how it strikes you. But again, I want to ask the question today: When our government has made decisions that it has made, when we are experiencing racism, when we are experiencing the injustices of the world, how do we live as children of God today? And I want to—I want to point out at the at this. I want to to answer that question. I want to go back to the verse one. We're going to look at the second half of verse one. You'll notice after. The elder says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Then he says something very strange. He says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now, that is amazing, that our Heavenly Father calls us his children, and the world does not know who we are. It does not recognize us. Like I said, the sin in my life, the the stuff in my life that makes me dirty and impure, that robs me of joy, that makes me less loving, that stuff belongs to the world. It's not part of who I truly am in Jesus Christ. It's not part of who I will be. My Heavenly Father has called me by name and he calls me his child. So that means my future is complete holiness, complete goodness, complete joy, complete righteousness, complete godliness and power, and all good things, complete justice, and that's your destiny too. But there is this world that we live in right now that calls us, and it wants to address us according to our own name, according to our sin, according to our longings that are broken and twisted. And this is, and to understand this, uh, we got to go back to 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2, the elder says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. You see, your Father is God. If you love the world and you let the world tell you who you are, you are not being true to your true identity. and You're not loving your Heavenly Father. But this is the important thing. For everything in the world, and this is what I want us to focus on, what is in the world? Three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those things are in the world. And in fact, the elder says that's everything that's in the world. The world has nothing good in itself because everything good comes from our Heavenly Father and will be ours because we are his children. But what belongs to the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And that comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, let's just do some quick definitions. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Lust is this this overpowering craving and desire to control other people for our own purposes. So, when we, when we are controlled by the lust of the flesh, we're participating in the lust of the flesh, then what we're doing is we're saying, I want the people around me that make me feel good. And we've been talking about that tonight, right? Like when Corey came up and said, you know, I've been struggling with numbing myself because I'm using my phone to cut myself off, right? To just kind of like hide. He's using his phone, right? And I, I do this too. We all struggle with this. Using our phones, using our media, to give ourselves a physical and psychological experience of disconnection. Because we we, we don't want to be uncomfortable. And so we find comfort by this numbing. And so we are using other people, we're using technology to mess with our bodies in order to not live in reality. We can do this lots of ways. Some of us go to food. Right? I mean, how wonderful is it when you're stressed out and you have the right kind of food, whether it's like your favorite cake or your macaroni and cheese if you live in my house. Or, um, you know, we, we'll, we'll just eat the things that make us feel physically good. And we know it's not good for us. We know the impact of that on us over the time. But we're using the lust of the flesh to soothe ourselves. It's not, it's not good life. Second thing, the lust of the eyes, that's about our gaze. So we can use other people, the way that we look at other people, See, we, we, when we look at other people, we can use them to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And this is something that is very dangerous in a time like ours right now. So when the government, for example, makes bad decisions and then puts a policy in place that is even worse to control the people that are under the government, right? Because the, like, we're in this situation because of government policy going back a long time and then they make a decision to give the police more power, the temptation for all of us is to gaze at our government leaders with contempt. The temptation for all of us is to condemn our leaders. Whether it might be the premier, whether it's you know, the minister of education, whoever it is, we will look at them and we'll say, oh my goodness, we'll call them names, we will disdain them, we will speak of them with disrespect. But what we're doing is we are exalting ourselves above them. And we are judging and condemning them based on our sense of what they've done, because of how they make us feel, because we are afraid, because we uh, are angry and we are hurt. And so we will gaze at them with our eyes, with condemnation and hatred, in order to make ourselves feel better. The lust of the eyes. Now, there are lots of other ways in which the lust of the eyes works as well, right? We can go into sexual, uh, like looking at, looking at people sexually, using them as sexual objects to, to give us sexual pleasure. We can look at wanting positions of power in order to get people to do what we want, right? Lots of ways that it can work. But then the third thing he says is that the pride of life is also part of how this world operates. And the pride of life, the word life there is the word bias. Bios is different from spiritual life. Bios is the expression. It's like how you choose to live your life, right? So right now in our time, the big temptation for everybody, it seems like who has money, is everybody wants to go buy a house that has a yard and they want to go put a a swimming pool in that yard. They want their way of life to be their defense against all of the chaos of the world. And we want to, you know this is true about, about us as Canadians, we want our way of life as Canadians to be like the best. And so, eight months ago, we, were, we, we all looked at each other and said, man, I'm glad I don't live south of the border. Man, I'm glad that my prime minister does not do what the leader of the United States does. And now, we're all looking down at the folks south of the border and saying, man, we wish we had their manufacturing capacity. Why, why are we waiting for vaccines? And there's this double standard. We're like, man, we want to be better than them. And we will talk about how much better we are. Because we have the pride of life. We have the pride of our lifestyle, the pride of our culture. And then down there, they're they're getting their vaccines. And we're like, oh, I'm so envious. I want to go get my vaccine, too. It's the pride of life. It's different from the eternal life that God offers us. You see, the the expressions of life, the the ways that we get to choose to live our life today exist because our creator called us into existence, because our creator is life itself. And so we don't, like, to, to take pride in our way of life is absurd, is absurd, because our life is ending. Our biological life, our bios is ending. But the eternal life of our creator, which the Greek word is Zoe, the Zoe life of God lasts forever. And so when we think about living as children of God today, on this day, with volcanoes erupting in the Caribbean and with bad government policy here in Canada, we We need to resist the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We need to fix our hope on Jesus Christ. And we need to to work on purifying ourselves from all sin. Okay? Now, what does it mean to put your hope on Jesus Christ in any situation? Well, can you go back to, to 1 John 3? What that means is that when you are, like, when you... Let's, let's just go with the example of reading the news and, and realizing the government is making a decision that's going to affect your life, and it's going to be bad. Okay. The temptation that the world puts in front of you is give in to despair. You can't do anything about it. The government doesn't care about you. You can't participate in any meaningful way. Um, and in fact, the only thing you can do is listen to other people's pain and amplify that pain so that they feel heard. And that's it. And so you end up in a place of anger and pain. And you, like I said, your gaze is a a gaze of condemnation towards the leaders who you despise and who are hurting you. And your gaze towards your brothers and sisters whom you love might be a a gaze mixed with love, but also a, a gaze of despair. And that's not a good place to be. Jesus Christ sets us free from that. Because we are children of God, we recognize that despair is not our home. Our home is the hope of Jesus. And So we look at our government leaders with truth. We don't, we don't deny the negative things that they're doing. But we look at them with compassion. Because we are children of God. The God who came and suffered for sinners. The God whose fullest expression is Jesus Christ hung on the tree. So we cannot condemn our leaders. We cannot look down on them with contempt. We cannot harbor hatred for them. What we have to do as followers of Jesus, as now have to, let me just be careful about that language. What the presence of Christ within us sets us free to do and teaches us to do. What the presence of Christ inside of us sets us free to do, and teaches us to do is to look at those leaders and to recognize that they are humans who are as broken as I am, as broken as you are. The impact of their actions might be far-reaching at this time, but the the impact of my actions is also very far-reaching because you and I are eternal beings. All of our actions are incredibly far-reaching. And so if I live as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God in this time, then when I look at these leaders, I will pray for them. I will pray for God to bless them. I will pray for God to express his mercy towards them. I will pray that God would deliver them from evil. I will, I will ask God to understand the spiritual forces that are at work in their lives trying to lead them down paths of destruction. Because I'm telling you, you think that you're afraid when you go to the park or when you walk through the streets or when you, you hear the news? Imagine how much more our leaders are wrestling with fear. And I don't think they're winning the battle. I don't think they are winning the battle against fear. I think our leaders need us to pray for deliverance from fear for them. Because they have a lot of weight on their shoulders. And as followers of Christ, as children of God, we cannot condemn them, we cannot hold them in contempt without saying that we belong to the world. Hmm. But you and I don't belong to the world. So we have to ask the question ourselves, when we are experiencing despair, hopelessness, when, we are, when we're feeling the pain of racial injustice, are we acting like children of the world so that we will, we will try to prove how right we are, we will try to use other people to make ourselves look good and to make ourselves safe, or are we going to live as children of God? As people who will love our enemies, as people who will look at God, look at the situation and say, "God, the same evil that I hate in that person is a temptation or a reality in my life," and so God, deliver that person with me, deliver me from the same thing that they are suffering from. Now, a wonderful uh, African American theologian named Howard Thurman was—he—he's—I uh, think he's passed on now. So the, back in in the middle of the 20th century, he was taking a train or a bus through um, through the segregated areas of the United States. And he saw, um, he, he's an African-American, so he's black, right? And, and he knew the hatred the white people had towards him and towards his people. But from his window in his bus or in his train car, he saw a group of black children expressing incredible hatred and violence towards a white child. And he painted a picture so clearly to say that the issue here is so much bigger than one people group. There are spiritual forces at work in the lives of our children that will lead all of us into darkness. The same hatred that can live in a white person's heart can live in a black person's heart. And he set about, in his whole life, trying to help people to experience the power, the transforming power of knowing what it is to be children of God. Because he said, what does Christianity have to say to people whose back's up against a wall? When your back is up against a wall, you have nothing left. What does Christianity have to offer you? And he said this, when you know that you are a child of God, when you know that you are loved by God, you are free. You can lift your head high. And so it is for us. When we are children of God, when we know that we are children of God, we do not want the same hatred living in us that we believe lives in other people. We want to purify ourselves because that hatred does not belong to us. It does not belong to us in Jesus Christ. So friends, today, as you think about the the realities in your life that threaten your communion with God, that threaten the joy that you have in Jesus Christ, that make you say that the only way to live is to defend yourself, to be stingy with your love, to close yourself off to hurt. I want to say to you that that's the voice of the world and that the world is a liar. You are a child of God. You are called child, beloved child, by your creator, in whom there is no darkness. And so... Would you come and bring your sin to Him? Would you come
1: like a child
0: who has broken something precious? Come to your parent who understands you and loves you and can help you put it back together again. Come to your Heavenly Father. Come to your Lord Jesus Christ, because in Jesus Christ there is no sin. And He is the one who has taken away our sin. He appeared to remove our sin. Because He appeared, friends, We can walk away from our sin. We can put our sin behind us. So today I don't I don't know where you're at. But the call of God is to receive your identity. You are God's child. What you will be has not yet been made known, but you know that the more you behold Jesus Christ, when He's revealed, you will be like Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven. We live in times that make us upset, in times that bring struggle. And we know that that is the whole story of humanity. That from the moment we turned from you, we have been in a battle with sin, in a battle with darkness and evil. But Lord, Lord God, our Heavenly Father, you revealed yourself in Christ Jesus, your son, who died for us and rose from the dead. And you call us your children in him. I pray that you would bring hope to us. I pray that you would teach us to put our hope in Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that you would set us free from the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of this life. Would our greatest aspiration be simply to enjoy you to live in Jesus Christ, that our lives would be a healing presence in this time. And God, we thank you for the way that um, you have gifted people in this church to be a healing presence around the world in this difficult time. God, I pray that you would raise up all of us to be uh, agents of healing and life because Jesus is alive in us. I pray this in his powerful name. You have been listening to a sermon podcast from Mosaic Intercultural Church in London, Ontario, Canada. My name is Andrew Karam, and I want to thank you for joining us. If you want to find out more about Mosaic and about the work that we do, please check us out online at www.mosaicchurchlondon.com.